All right, well, good morning, everyone. All right, if you haven't met me, my name is Jessie. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy, and I am so glad you are here today. I describe this time of July as in the Minnesota summer as like, we know we're like a little over halfway there and we're all running on a little tired because we've been like running and bouldering and biking, but yet we gotta like hang in there because we still got a full month left. Does anybody else like resonate with that? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm really glad you're here. I hope you're enjoying summer, and I get to continue in our Sounds of Summer. I'm gonna start with a little history, okay? Some of you might recognize this name and some of you won't, um, but I'll explain why in a little bit. There was a man named John Newton who was born in 1725 in London, so I'm really doing a history lesson here, okay? Uh, he was raised in London by his mom. His dad was a sailor, so his dad was off at sea, and his mom was a believer in Jesus, so he was raised to know Jesus, pray, um, and had a belief in Jesus from a young age. His mom tragically died, and so as a teenager and a young man, he spent most of his life out at sea, as a, uh, working on ships, working on ports, all of that stuff. Now, at that time in Europe, one of the biggest industries that was going on was the slave trade. And so it was a horrific time uh, in history. And so what they would do is these sailors would come into these ports in Africa. They would steal, take these African people and sell them as goods and services. And so this is where young John Newton found him in this environment. And as he would describe later in life, he was not a nice person. Okay, he was mean, he would often get into trouble, and one of his favorite pastimes was, get this, ridiculing people of faith. See, he had completely turned his back on Jesus in his own words, and he would mock them, he would argue with them, and he would simply say, why are you engaging with this faith, and just would pick and pick and pick and away at them. So he was so annoying and so bad that he would often get into trouble. And sailors were not nice people at this time. As I read in history, I didn't know that. Okay, I was not there, but in some of my history books. Um, I, my poor husband, I'd come out this last week and be like, do you know what this interesting fact I learned from the 1700s? He's like, okay, Jesse, you know, like, go back. And, uh, and, uh, and he would get into trouble a lot of the times. There was this one time he got into trouble in that he almost died because he was so sick and weak in this kind of, um, this like jail type place. And, but just at the right time, he would get a like offered a glass of water, he would get some food and eventually somebody would come and get him out of there. And he started to notice these patterns in his life as a young man. There were more than on one occasion where he was scheduled to leave on a ship, right, that was going out to sea to some port, and all of a sudden he would get delayed. Something would happen and he'd miss the ship, or he would get randomly reassigned to a different location, and the ship that he was supposed to be on would sink, or something horrible would happen. And he would find himself reflecting, and he would say, I don't understand. I should have been dead by now. Why am I still here what, what's going on in my life? Well, there was one time he was in this horrible, horrible storm, and it was about this time that he started asking himself these questions. And this is what one of his biographers wrote. He said, John, after watching sailors, it was such a horrible storm for so many days, literally get tossed overboard. It was, it was just a bad one. He stood, as he stood hour and hour, and I'm gonna read so I don't mess up, at the wheel of a ship that was almost sinking, he realized how helpless he was and how suddenly he wondered if it had been God's grace that had been saving him to this moment. And suddenly God's grace seemed so appealing and so amazing. 
In that moment, as he clung to the ship, he began to pray to see if this gospel was truly what God said it was. And when the ship finally landed in Ireland, John Newton made his way to a church and he dedicated his life to Jesus. Now, John Newton returns to see, he's probably a young man right now in his 30s. He goes to his childhood sweetheart. He realizes he needs some money to wed childhood sweetheart, so he takes the first job offered to him, considered a really good job during that time, a captain of a slave ship. Now, if that seems a little off to you as somebody who just, right, said, I'm Jesus, I'm going to follow you, and then I'm going to be a captain of a slave ship, we're going to talk about that later. He worked as a slave captain for a few years, and the seizure forced him, to, forced him sorry, to step down, and he did some desk jobs, but God had been working on his heart and calling him into deeper belief, and he became a minister and a pastor. And just with a hand, does anybody know who John Newton is? I'm going to tell everybody soon. Okay, so more than, okay, good. I'll tell you a little bit, and this is why I'm telling this story is because on January 1st, 1773, he was preaching a New Year's Day sermon, and he would often write poems to accompany his sermon. On this day, he wrote a poem called Faith's Review and Expectations, and I'm gonna read the words, we know it by a different name, and you'll see what it is. So I'm just gonna read the words you can put up the slide. Here was the poem that John Newton wrote, Faith's Review and Expectations. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be, as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail, and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. And what is that song? Amazing Grace. A song that when he wrote this as a poem in a sermon, it would a few years later actually get into a hymnal. He never, though he died before it became actually famous. This song has withstood the test of time for over 300 years. It is one of the most popular songs in culture. Everything from the legs. I went into a deep dive of Amazing Grace. I'm now like kind of a, you know, I, I know a few facts now, just kidding. Some of you more be no more than me probably. But it's been sung by the likes of Elvis Presley, Beyonce, when she was in Destiny's Child, I shall clarify, and uh, Aretha Franklin, and it's been a part of, and it's one of the most sung songs in the history, actually, of the church, not just in America, but around the world. And as I started to dig into this, I kind of was fascinated, not only by the song and the longevity of it and what we can kind of grasp from that today, but also the person who wrote it, an unlikely person who had experienced God's grace and was on this journey with Jesus. So today, we're going to take a look at grace. Okay, what it is, why we need it, kind of looking at John Newton's life, the song Amazing Grace, and the Bible all at the same time, why we need it, and how God's grace invites us into a greater faith. Okay? All right, I love it. Audience participation, thanks. All right, well, let's just pray. All right, Lord Jesus, I thank you for today, and first of all, I thank you for Amazing Grace. 
I just, I do. I thank you just not only for the song, but for the grace of God that we are here today. I thank you for your love and your care for us. And I pray, God, that as we sit and as we experience you, God, that my words would not get in the way of what you're doing in people's hearts, God, that you would be close to us, that we would fill you, and that we would experience your grace in a brand new way today. Amen. All right, so first, here's what we're gonna do. What actually is grace? We've heard this word a lot if you've grown up, right, in a church, if you've been around a church at any time, but what is grace? Well, let's look at this. Grace is undeserved favor that one receives, okay, when you believe and commit to Jesus, okay? It is a gift, not something we buy or earn, right? It's actually something we don't deserve. It's forgiveness of our sins. It's not a reward, okay, so it's not a gift, and it's not a reward, okay, It is only because of Jesus dying on the cross and coming back to life that we receive grace when we believe. And let me say it to you again in this way. Grace is actually not a natural part of our world. It is something given from God. And what's so amazing about this, I think, okay, is that oftentimes our culture tells us that once you make a mistake, you're done, right? There's no forgiveness, there's no way back. I think that's sometimes what we can believe, right? As human beings, I've made a mistake, I've failed, I'm done. But see, Jesus dying on the cross says you get grace, not because you earned it, but because you are so loved. Grace is the gift nurtured from unconditional love. There's a beautiful quote by Philip Yancey, which I felt so old this week. Does anybody know what's so amazing about grace? Okay, I feel old again, Gary. Gosh, because I was asking somebody in their 20s, and they're like, oh, I was born the year that was written. And I was like, okay. All right, anyways, it's a phenomenal book. Philip Yancey, What's So Amazing About Grace? Side note, that I would highly recommend. It's a bit old, okay, for those of you who are younger than me, but I would still do it. But anyways, Philip Yancey has this beautiful quote in it, and he said, God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are, Okay. So that's the grace. So let me ask you guys this. If grace is a gift, then why do we need it? Okay, you know what? Christmas time as an adult, you ask for the gifts you kind of need. Like one year I was so excited that I got um, like a floor cleaner. Why can't I think of the word? Like a vacuum? That's what it is. You can tell how often I vacuum, <laughs> can't you? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. And uh, it was, so, you know, I asked for a vacuum, right? Because you know there's those gifts that you just need, right? That you know as an adult you're, you're going to get. My mother-in-law has actually started with our boys. She gives them one they need and one they really want. And when Simon opened up his gift this year, he's like, I don't understand. I didn't ask for a suitcase, Grandma. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> She's like, well, gifts are sometimes things you need too, honey, right? And so I like to balance, right, the gifts of I need a new vacuum, but I really want clothing. And so is, if grace is a gift, is it something that we can just go on our merry way if we don't do too anything horrible and worry about it, right? Is grace is a gift? Is it something I actually need to receive? Do I actually need to do the work of saying yes to Jesus? So it begs the question, Why in the world then do we need grace, right? Why do we need grace? Let's look in the book of Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. Let's look at what the word uh, Apostle Paul said. He says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much 
that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united, united with Christ Jesus. And I think I have a slide for this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now in all those words, let me try to simplify it. We need grace. Because quite simply, we need it because we are imperfect human beings who sin in our need of a savior. It's not the bonus gift at Christmas. It's actually the very reason Christmas exists. And I, and I, I have to say, if I'm being honest, I really struggled with this sermon this week because sometimes that's a really hard thing to preach, right? That we're imperfect, we sin, and we're in need of a savior. And as I was kind of digging in the scriptures this week, I was reminded of a poem uh, some of you might know from the 1800s named Invictus. Okay, it's a beautiful work of um, literature. But I want us to look at those last two lines. The last two lines of this poem Invictus, which was written by a man named William Ernest Henry, says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Okay, does that ring a bell to anybody? And if you contrast those two lines with the first few lines of amazing grace, we find two completely different postures of the way of showing up and looking at the world. So the first few lines of amazing grace are, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. See, one is a posture of our recognizing as a human being our need of God and therefore grace Well, the other puts the need of redemption on us. There's actually no grace needed because I'm the one in control and I can master my fate. One speaks like Paul did in the book of Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God, who began the good work in with you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. While the other one says, I'm the one who decides the truth of my life. I am the one in charge. See, I actually think that accepting God's grace is one of the greatest acts of humility that we will ever do because it's in recognition of our need for a savior. I remember talking to a kid one time. I can't remember uh, even the kid or or who it was, but I was talking about their need for Jesus and he said, I don't get it. I don't want anybody to save me. Like, why, why would I need that, right? And the truth is, that can be sometimes a hard thing to hear. So then, but yet, grace in this unmerited favor comes to us, right? Grace reminds us while we have this beautiful gift that we'll all fall short, which is why we need grace, okay? Now, you sticking with me? Okay, beautiful, thank you. Now I have a question then. How can one like a John Newton who wrote these beautiful words that we're still singing today receive God's grace while continuing to live a life that is mixed up. I think we could probably agree that a captain of a slave ship is not the most grace-filled position, okay? And I think here's the thing, and this was interesting as I learned more about this man. Right after, so he's on the slave ship, he's, he's being the captain of it, 
But there was this tug on his heart that was continually going more and more to following Jesus. This man who was writing this book on him said during his off times, he would read the Bible. He was craving other people to talk about Jesus with. He began to pray more, and he began to see the evidence in his life. The irony of it is that he would actually invite his sailors to come to these prayer meetings because he noticed there was a difference in their lives for the ones who were praying all the meanwhile, he was completely ignorant of the pain and suffering and misery of the people beneath him. And so I think what grace can be tricky about, right, is saying, why is the man who wrote this beautiful song about grace, he doesn't seem to deserve it, right, in this moment of his life. And here's the tricky thing about grace. No one's exempt for God's grace because if there's one thing you listen to, here it is. Grace allows us to enter into a relationship with Jesus, okay, without a list of requirements, but it doesn't keep us there. I'm going to say it again. Grace allows us to enter into a relationship with Jesus without a list of requirements, but it doesn't keep us there. Grace is the first step on a journey with Jesus, right? One of the first steps of growing and changing to be more like him. And I think we often stop the conversation there, this beautiful, unmerited grace. What I think we, re- we need to remind ourselves, we do need to remind ourselves of that, right? But we're missing one of the greatest aspects of Jesus, that his grace continues on and on and on into different parts of our life, into different areas of our life as we are being made more and complete like him. There's a beautiful book by Eugene Peterson that I would highly recommend to read called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And Eugene Peterson is the man who uh, translated the Bible into the message translation, if you've ever heard of that. And he writes this. He says, repentance, recognizing your sin and accepting God's grace, is a realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of peace. See, grace meets us where we're at, and then grace invites us to change. And as much as I love to talk about change, like we talk about two services in our life, or sometimes change is really exciting, change can also be really hard and scary, because I really like to get stuck in my ways, even if I don't admit it. I like the fact that I don't know how to vacuum because my husband can do it, right? That's now all that people are going to remember about that with that. But grace invites us to change. I want to share an example from my own life. Um, A few years ago, I was working on a remote team. So I was working with people, so I was on Zoom all the time before Zoom was a thing for meetings. And uh, it had been a really long week. I had just come back from a work trip. I believe our three-year-old at the time was sick with an ear infection or something. And I was not as prepared as I said I was going to be coming into this meeting, which had a pretty, I was managing this really big project and it had a lot of the key stakeholders in the company at this meeting. And my boss was there, who I knew really well and who was incredibly high standards and also really kind. And you know those times when you show up in a meeting or you show up with a group of friends and you're just not yourself? Like, have you guys ever done that, or am I the only one who's tanked a meeting? Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you for making me feel better. Um, like, I just, I was interrupting. I was, now looking back, I think my, I was so anxious about everything that I was, like, shaking. This was a few years ago. And the meeting ends, and I'm thinking, oh, thank God. Do you know what I mean? And my boss went, hey, Jesse, hang on a minute. I want to talk to you. Uh-oh. Like, he only did that. And he said, he just looked at me. He waited. And he said, I know you're exhausted, and I know you've been working really hard, but showing up the way you did is not okay. 
He's like, you were cutting off people, you weren't communicating well, and he said, frankly, your anxiety was driving that meeting instead of like the overall mission. And honestly, it was all I could do not to accidentally click like the end meeting and be like, oops, sorry, do you know what I mean? Like, technical issue. And he just kind of sat there and I said, and I interrupted him actually, which, you know, looking back, should not have done. And I interrupted him and I just said, you know, my, my kid has been sick and I'm just, I'm tired. And he said, I understand. And he's like, Jesse, I'm not saying this because your kid is sick. I've noticed this for a while. There's this level of insecurity in you and how you get into positions and the anxiety just comes rising up out of you and it's, it's actually controlling you in ways that I don't think are healthy. And he said, I think it's holding you back from your best. And he said, I think Jesus actually has more for you. I was working for a Christian organization. And after this, I was like, okay. And he goes, I'm not mad at you. I'm, care- I'm telling you this because I care about you. I see potential in you. And I want you to continue to grow. And that was a hard conversation. I think my three-year-old came in at that point. The TV show had ended. And I remember my boss just saying, like, go be with your sick kid and think about this. And I didn't want to think about it. I wanted to completely remove that conversation from my brain, pretend that it had never happened. But it kept noodling at me, and it kept noodling at me. And I finally went, God, is there something in there in that for me? Am I, is there a different way of showing up? Is there a different way of living where my anxiety doesn't have control of me? And I'm not telling, and, and let me say this as somebody who has struggled with anxiety my life and still sometimes do. You could probably ask my coworkers and family this week. This was probably not Jesse's most perfect week for a non-anxious presence, if I'm being completely honest, right? Anxiety is real, so I'm not saying that. But I was letting it, living in a way that it was letting control me control my interactions and control my relationships. And I couldn't let it go. And God was really gentle with me. And it was that one thing of saying, hey, Jesse, I love you, right, as you are. But I actually have more for you in this life. Will you come with me and we can grow and change? And that was actually the catalyst. Uh, my husband and I were invited into this program called Emotionally Focused. I can, if anybody's interested, I can tell you after. That went in and looked at our life. And we, just, and we did some work about saying, hey, how are we showing up? What things from our past have we not let go of or not forgiven? Are there ways, different ways of engaging with God and engaging with others? And there were some really hard conversations. I had to apologize to so many people over the course of the year for screwing up. Poor, my friend Lindsay's here. I think I apologized to her like every time we got together with the kids because something else would come into my mind and be like, do you remember that one time? I didn't show up that well to you and I need to apologize. And it wasn't out of guilt. It was out of this new awakening of, hey, God's grace is so amazing that I don't actually have to live like this anymore. There's a famous saying in the vineyard, and there's different tweaks to it, but it says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And I love this, because I think this is actually what the invitation that Jesus has for us time and time again, right? Come as you are, receive my grace, but don't stay as you are. Receive it, and let's grow together and be with me, because I have more for you. Because here's the deal. God's grace then leads to abundance, I sometimes cringe, so if you've ever said this in my presence, I apologize, but I cringe when I hear the phrase like, I live a life without regrets, okay? And at some point, that's healthy, right? That you're not beating yourself up, right, about everything. What I actually hear a person who says that say is, I'm living a life that isn't full of grace, right? I'm living a life that doesn't have grace. And if one isn't living a life of grace, One has to make sure they don't make mistakes and don't fail because there's no plan B. 
But see, when you accept God's grace, this amazing, wonderful, unmerited grace, he's faithful to you, just like that amazing grace song says, through whatever toils and troubles as the song sings, we'll see you through. I actually think that it's some of our biggest regrets. I know in my life, some of my biggest mistakes is an invitation to receive and practice God's grace because it'll lead to abundance. See, John Newton, remember John Newton now, the same guy who wrote this song? He had the same reflection and awareness in his journey of faith. In his later years, he eventually ended up pastoring for 40 years, and in his later years, there was a knock on the door one day, and a young man by the name of William Wilberforce knocked on his door. And if you don't know that name, William Wilberforce was actually one of the leading abolitionists of slavery in London at the time. He's actually one of the main people during Parliament that would argue for that and is credited for being one of the leaders to do that. And as I was reading this book on John Newton's life, William Wilberforce came to him because he was having doubts about his faith. He exactly wasn't sure what God was calling him to do. Should I, should I keep going in the political arena? Should I go this way? Should I go into business, right? And William, or not sorry, and John Newton, this book said, would just sit with him and talk with him and sit and listen and answer his questions, and they would pray together. And William Wilberforce eventually became comfortable and kept going on his journey with Jesus. And at the same time, William Wilberforce started asking John Newton questions about his experience on the slave ships. And John Newton started unpacking them and telling them, you know, I think I really messed up, right? I don't think what I did was actually okay. And it was William Wilberforce who said, I think we need your voice in this fight. Can you tell others? Can you talk about it? And so at the near the end of his life, John Newton published uh, a book that was actually very popular at the time called Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade. And, it, and he writes this quote in the book, I hope it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. See, when John Newton first accepted Jesus, he first believed and he first received God's grace, he certainly wasn't the man who wrote that line that I just read. And it was because of God's grace and the way John Newton continued to learn and practice and trust that his faith grew and his awareness of his need of God's grace, time grew and grew and grew. And I, and I use John Newton as an example not because he was perfect, right? because I had to choose a song to do a sermon. It's a sermon series. But I think it's a beautiful example of that, right? Of how we, one, we accept God's grace, but then it allows us to grow and change and to learn to be more like him. And I know when I look back over my own life, and maybe some of you too, I see God's grace in it. I see times when I thought I was so right, and I was actually completely wrong, right? And I accidentally hurt a lot of people in that process, my pride and fear have hurt people. And it was God's grace that allowed me to come to those people and ask forgiveness, to ask forgiveness for God. Grace has helped me hold on to my faith through some really hard times when I really wanted to bail. I see provision in God's grace, right? God's showing up to me with community in some of my darkest and loneliest times. And sometimes, and this might resonate for some of you more than others, the goodness of God's grace overwhelms me and I can get to feelings of guilt, Oh, God, I don't deserve this. I don't know why, but I don't deserve this. And I think the invitation is to say, you know what, Jesse, you don't. But because I love you so much, I'm going to bless you, and there's going to be abundance in that. I was talking to a woman a few years ago, and she was nearing the end of her life. And, and I had the chance to talk to her, and I just said, do you have any regrets? You know, I don't, I was kind of like, what do you ask a person, you know, in this position. 
And she says something to me that I'll always remember, and I want to share it with you. And she said, oh, Jesse, of course I have regrets. She said, one can't live a life and be honest with themselves and others if they don't have regrets. But here's what I would tell you. Don't let the fear of regrets cause you to miss out on what Jesus has for you. For you see, out of my biggest regrets have come the most abundance in my life. See, grace is the first step in all of this, right? As I close, worship team, you can come on up, but it isn't the last. I think grace is this current, right, in the river of our lives. It's there because God loves us so much that he doesn't let us do life without him. And he loves this world too much, so he uses his imperfect people like us to partner with him to change ourselves to be more like him and work with him to extend grace and hope to the world around us. Okay? Now, here's what I would like to do. Okay? I know I just threw a lot of words at you. Not as many stories as I usually do. So thanks. I just want to take a minute because we are all at different places in our life with Jesus, right? In our journey with Jesus. Okay? And we're going to sing the song Amazing Grace in a few minutes. But I would just invite everybody right now that we're here. We've got plenty of time just to close your eyes. Okay? If you want to, you can put your hands out as a posture. And for some of you, you're going to love this. You get to sit in silence and contemplate. For some of you, this is going to be a stretch, but I promise I'll watch the time, okay? It'll only be like 30 or 45 seconds, okay? We're just going to sit, and I'm going to ask for awareness in our life. I just want you to sit. And God, I just pray right now, where are you asking us to receive your grace? For some of you, it might be the first time. You know what, God, I have been fighting you and I need to receive your grace afresh. For others of you that regret, man, do I, like, I've been hanging on to this regret and it's suctioning the oxygen off of me. I think for others, it's simply just enjoying the grace that God has for you. Wherever you are at, God meets us. And so before we enter into worship and then to a ministry time, I just want to take a minute Just let God's grace rest and fall on us. I'm just going to be quiet now for 45 seconds and not talk while we do that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, God, for your unfailing love, that you love us where we are at. And you love us so much that you want to help make our lives better, that you have good things for us. I thank you, God, for your unmerited grace. And I thank you for the journey, Lord, that we are all on. I pray, Lord, that we would experience your grace afresh, Lord. And I thank you, God, for this time. Meet us here as we continue on. Thank you.